What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Brooklyn Boxing Podcast. We have a special guest today, Robert Patton, the CEO of Sheath Underwear. Appreciate you coming on today. It's my pleasure. I love doing podcasts and having good conversations, meeting new people and uh, having a good time. So thanks for having me. Yeah, the other day when I was on your uh, IG live, I brought up kind of the reason why I even found sheath underwear at first uh, on IG is I saw Jeremy Stevens, um, you know, doing an ad for you guys, rocking, rocking the underwear. He fought last night, unfortunately, he didn't get the win. But Jeremy Stevens, you know, a guy who's been in the UFC forever, he's a savage. And I was like, what is this? What is this company sheath? Like, Let me look into this. And I started checking out your IG live and it kind of all stemmed from there. Wow. Yeah. Um, we do sponsor a lot of fighters, Jeremy Stevens, uh, being one of them. He is a badass. last night. That was such a weird mood, like, um, submission to get caught in. I mean, I was like a Kimura really you get caught with a Kimura, but the way the guy was squatting over his head and he had a really dominant position. And I think probably Jeremy's never been in that and probably didn't even expect, a Kimura from that position and then just got kind of caught off guard. Yeah. Yeah. It was a, a nasty submission. You could tell like if he didn't tap right, I mean, his shoulder would have been completely gone. Um, yeah. So Cause that dude just, he was in just a, you know, his body was over Jeremy's head and, and that just angle was, was could have really, he could have torqued that arm right off. Like you said, yeah yeah exactly the whole card last night i don't know if people listening uh watch it but you know i watched most of the card and it was good to see uh misha tate also came back and and got a win after a couple of years off and then the main event islam makachev khabib's protege looking uh very dangerous and i'm sure he wants a top five guy or rafael dos Anjos next but um before he i even way talk, sorry he looks way bigger than his opponent you know yeah. uh so that was, an, uh, he must be able to cut a lot of weight, I imagine. Yeah, yeah. I saw in the pre-fight that he was going through a crazy weight cut and, um, you know, a lot of time in the sauna. But before we even talk too much about the UFC and just sort of the fight game in general, like what is your, are you a fan of, of fight sports, boxing, UFC? Obviously, I'm, you I'm mostly mixed martial arts and UFC particularly. Yeah, I do. I watch, you know, Tyson Fury and, and uh, Whitaker. Is that his name? Yeah. Yep. Uh, okay. So those are fun. And of course, like Tyson and I watched some Jake Paul shit recently. And, <laughs> and I know that's not, well, he's pretty good. Like as far as he seems like he's pretty good, way better than me or, you know, as far, you know, and, and like his brother, uh, Paul, Paul, Jake Paul and and Logan Paul, Logan's Logan fought Floyd. Yeah. And he, I mean, he went up, he went 10 rounds against or eight rounds against Floyd, which seemed like Floyd like waited till, you know, closer to the end or the, you know, like four or five rounds in to start laying on him, but he was able to survive, which is something I know. Yeah, I heard, I heard him say a lot of noise. Yeah. It's, it's funny, but like, I heard, I, actually, I don't know if you heard this, though, that uh, Floyd released some audio footage of Logan telling him, like, take it easy. <laughs> I saw that as well. I don't know if Logan was just kind of playing around. And, you know, it's hard, it's hard to say, right? You know, the whole thing is kind of a show. And, um, you know, of course, Floyd is, is older now, but 
hey, credit to both guys. They made a bunch of money. They got people to tune in. And, uh, you know, they, uh, they're the winners at the end of the day. They got that cash. Um, but to move away from sort of the fighting stuff a little bit for now, I, no, wanted, no, no, to yeah. to, um, I wanted to get back to your story and um, kind of your journey on how, you know, you founded Sheath. Um, but at the beginning, like growing up as a kid, you know, were you involved in athletics? Did you think that you were going to end up in the army? Like what, like as a kid, like how did you envision yourself um, when you were older? I, you know, when I was in fifth grade, I wore, we have like the uh, career day and I wore a suit and a tie and I thought I would be the president of a company for one. As time went on, I wanted, I wanted to be in the NBA. So I really, uh, I practiced every day for like four hours a day by myself sometimes or whatever. I was really bad at basketball, which made me try that much harder. All my friends would beat me with, you know, easy, like very easily. And so, so I'm not naturally gifted athletically. I'm 5'8", 150, very average size, height, weight, speed, agility, all these things. But because I was so weak in sport, it made me like put forth that much effort to try to keep up and compete. And ultimately I ended up making the high school basketball team, which is amazing. Um, I, I made the freshman team and, and the sophomore team. I didn't make JV or varsity, unfortunately life. i made some bad decisions and got, I didn't make it. And I got a lot of injuries, you know, from uh, try, I would not quit. You know, I was practicing all like a lot every day. And if I got injured, I wouldn't give myself time to heal. And we'll just say I got injured myself out of that potential, which there was no real chance of me making it to the NBA. I don't think my mom told me anyways. <laughs> but, you know, you were obviously showed that like never quit attitude, right? Even in, at a young age in high school. And so like, at what point did you start to look towards like the military? Was that at all on your radar at that point in high school? No, um, I, I never, I, I, I always respected the military. My dad was in the air force and he, he did four years and I, he didn't really glamorize it, but I didn't expect to go in myself. I just figured I would go to college. Like my parents would tell me I'd go to college and then get a job. And that's kind of what I did. Short story, went to college, got a job. I mean, I, I failed out of college miserably trying to become the Scarface of Statesboro. I was like a little wannabe gangster, I think. And that luckily didn't last very long. I got arrested and put in my place and taught a lesson, a valuable lesson early because I was kind of going down the right path. I had a lot of ambition, very, uh, I'm like, a, I got a hustler spirit, as Jay-Z would say, but luckily I didn't get too far in that game of like, I was dealing things, you know, like an idiot. I was dumb. I was so dumb, but again, it showed like, there was always these characteristics of success or what, at least striving for more than what I had. Was that, but, was that addicting for you? Like, like when you were in that kind of lifestyle, like feeling that sort of danger or that element of like, like the risk factor? It was exciting. Definitely exciting. And I remember like walking into the club, you know, and everyone knew who I was and they're high-fiving me and they're like, you know, spreading, uh, parting like the sea so I could get to my 
VIP section. It was very brief though. The whole, uh, you know, rise and fall happened within like six months, thankfully again, because I was, it was all dumb. And I was, my parents were not absent, but they definitely didn't give me the values that you would hope parents might provide. I've got those from movies like Goodfellas and Scarface and like just gangster. I wanted to be a gangster or something. I don't, you know, a rapper and whatever. No, it's interesting. Like you talk about your liking towards risk or that kind of that edginess and then how that applies to obviously your story. Like, I don't think it's an accident that you ended up in the military. Right. I mean, it's like having yourself in those kind of situations, like it relates, I'm sure to a lot of fighters, like their backgrounds, they come from, you know, there's so many different stories in the fight game about where guys come from, but it all kind of, they all have some, some parts that relate to each other of that edge, right? They, they like that little bit of danger, whether it's in the ring, out of the ring. Um, it's something that sets them off and, and drives them. Yeah. A little bit. I mean, we, we, I'm not a fighter, but I was very, I'm very competitive and that's what I love about the fighters heart and spirit is that they are putting everything towards one goal and, and trying to be the best in the world, you know, and I was telling my, myself this morning, I'm the best in the world. I was thinking of, um, fuck, what is her name? Uh, fuck. She's got, she's on my, she's a champion at one 25 115 115 she just beat the asian lady fuck you know oh rose nama Yunus. rose nama Yunus. she's like i'm the best in the world i'm the best in the world and you know like that's something if you tell yourself i don't know it's that puts a lot of pressure on you on you and but she lived up to it that was really something else i a lot of my thinking pertains I, like my life revolves around a certain way of thinking like where i'm constantly trying to do affirmations you know where i'm telling myself certain things so that i'll believe them ultimately and a lot of it's like gratitude though i just try to try to stay grateful and but you know every day in every way i'm getting better and better just like these weird affirmations to keep myself moving in the right direction and keep a, a a good mind state because it's easy to get yeah. sidetracked on in life yeah for sure i mean i think too like in the fight game right now like there's a few guys that really stand out for me in terms of their mindset and um you know when you look at boxing you have a guy like tyson fury <clears throat> everything that he went through this massive weight gain drug abuse alcoholism then he comes back loses all the weight totally changes his mindset around and now he's just like all positive all the time obviously talks about like how he has his days where he's down or whatever but he um you know totally switched his mindset around about how to just have those positive affirmations every day and and try to like manifest success you know in the ufc we saw it with mcgregor um you know recently you could say at times he's like been a little bit more darker in terms of like his energy used to be exactly that like positive manifest energy now it's like a little bit ever since like Khabib it's a little darker but even like on Instagram like he posted a video the other day of him like wheeling around with his leg up like after surgery and he's like 
he like turned it into a positive is and, and people say you know you can say whatever you want like oh he's making excuses or whatever but at the end of the day like he's doing what he has to do for his own mental for him to come back mm-hmm. and um like he's wheeling around like telling himself like oh i got a rod, metal rod in my leg it's unbreakable now like this is exactly he literally says this is exactly what i needed like i had this ankle was giving me problems for a long time and uh it sounds silly but at the same time it's incredible to have genuinely think like that um so it's always fascinating to see people who are able to have such a positive outlook all the time yeah the psychology of success and just stay like getting to the top and then staying on top that's where he has fallen short like he was able to get to the top but then how do you stay on top and keep that hunger when you're sleep, sleeping in silk sheets and arriving in yachts to your fights? Uh, but I think he does it for the thrill of it. And, you know, what I'm, I'm just trying, like, we're still growing as a company, mm-hmm. but we're in the top 10 up underwear companies, according to some article that is for like pouch underwear. So we're in like a a niche of, of the market but it seems to be a growing one and but like i never would want to i would never walk around and and i was telling myself i'm the best i don't even know why i was doing that i was doing it because rose nama units was doing it. i was kind of meditating and just kind of playing around with different affirmations but that kind of started making me feel weird it's like you're the best at what ouch i have yeah. the best pouch <laughs> yeah I, I it didn't really fit for what i'm trying to do you know i'm always trying to better myself i mean i'm learning Right now I'm, I'm taking a ceramics class and that's really trippy because you're doing like the mind body connection of making these pots and stuff. I have something here, but anyways, um, learning the piano, I'm learning the Spanish, a little bit of sign language. And I'm trying to always, you know, just do things that wow. like I'm reading, you know, so self-help. So I never think that I'm at the top of, I'm the best in the world or whatever. I'm not at the top of my game. I just always room for improvement and bought you know i box i do um box of my of my bag i have a bag out in the front yard and it's just uh real cathartic you know it's a good it's great exercise yeah, yeah people don't people think it's for like savages and brutes uh, but there's a lot of c- cerebral oh, know, there is yeah. a cerebral aspect to boxing that people don't get oh yeah a hundred percent i mean it's uh you know, you just like a Floyd is like the easiest example in like recent history. And like, he's the most cerebral of them all. And that's why he was able to have such, such success. And like Roger Mayweather, um, when he was alive, they used to tell Floyd, you know, it's all about the mind. There's always guys who are going to be faster than you, stronger than you, quicker, whatever. Um, but if you can outthink them in there, then you can win. And that's definitely, you know, the common misconception. As you said, a lot of people think it's just guys in there brawling. It is certainly not that it's a definitely a thinking man's game. Um, although there are brawls at times, the fans love those, but um, you know, a lot of times it's, it's highly, highly calculated in there. Um, but to get back to sheath, you know, I want to hear more about kind of how it all started. I, I guess when you were overseas, right. You um, the level of heat over there, the training, Talk to me about like, at what point you said, I got to figure something out here. I got, I got to get some new underwear. Or I got to, you know, this is uncomfortable. How did that, you know, tell me about how it all started. I 
you know, I was on my second tour in Iraq, 2008, and I had taken a team. I was like the NCOIC, so I was in charge. It was really cool because I was doing well in the army as it was. So I, I just like to point that out. I was kind of excelling in that area, which it's really, if you're will, if you just follow orders, just do what they tell you to do, you know that you're not going to get to do what you want to do. When you go to the army, you do what they tell you to do. And I did that to the best of my ability. And I rose to the ranks rather quickly. And, and I was also 26 when I joined, but at this time, this is like two, three years later. So I'm 28, 29 on my second tour. And I was very active. So we, every day we would go work out. I was running like seven more than that. Yeah. Like, well, I'm like seven miles a day wow. around this track. I, my job on the second tour, thankfully was much more like relaxed when it came to our jo actual job. We were more like waiting around for the majority of this particular tour. Whereas the first tour, it was body bags after body bags, like all day, every day, like literally. And so thankfully this tour was much more relaxed and I was going to college even like I was doing like online classes and I would go and we had our own compound. We, I was in a special unit. There was just five of us and we had our own little compound and nobody fucked with us. And we just did, we only had to work when we had to work. Like we were like firemen, so to speak in, in this particular job. And so unless we were called, we could do what we wanted to do. And um, so we, that's why I was just like, kind of, we're working out, we're taking care of our compound and we were out there and the, and the generators were down. We had, we were kind of taken care of. We had, you know, if anything happened, somebody would come fix it. We had people cleaning up for us and everything. So we could, again, we could do it. One. And what I'm getting at is, is a long way of saying it was really hot one day, the generators were down, the showers were off and I, it was really hot and I was outside kind of like tooling around beautification is what we would call it when we we're cleaning up stuff. And it was just like super hot. And I have since super sensitive skin also like eczema. And so when something is irritating to you, it would be like way more irritating to me. So what was already irritating was extra irritating. And, and like, I was actually also wearing some old, army underwear that someone somehow I ended up with someone else's because like in the army you do laundry together and yeah, you know yeah. I was wearing like some XL underwear so they were like sagging but they were the whitey tighties and they were like cutting into my thighs perfect storm of discomfort and I was just like really you know I and I had all my gear on so my full we call it full battle rattle or whatever which is you know your helmet your uh fucking bulletproof vest it's like this really heavy vest and all your ammo and your weapon and whatnot so if you had to readjust downstairs it's like more difficult and yeah. so i'm constantly having to readjust and i'm just like fuck if there if if everything was separated i wouldn't be having to do this right now so it was a very simple thought if everything was separated down there i wouldn't have to do this and you know so i, I run back inside and i got a hand towel and put it down my pants and it it just separated everything and it provided a moment of relief where i was like aha if i separate so a pouch like something separating down there and I, I was running through a bunch of different like kind of images on my mind of what that would look like 
and what ultimately it came to like an inverted kangaroo pouch but i just had a picture in my mind so that's like the lesson a lot of people have an, an idea but then it stops there yeah well so i immediately i was like i'm gonna go do this and so i went to the local uh they had like a px it's called a px but it's like a little walmart a general store you go and buy stuff so i went and bought some underwear some scissors and i started like kind of playing around with what i would want it to look like i drew it out and then i went to it our local tailor there and had them sew in the pouch on the inside of the underwear a couple is different actually i had two different designs so i had them do both and one was like a v and one was it was like a vagina it was weird it was like a vagina one was like a vagina and i was like okay you put everything through <laughs> and that'll keep everything separate but then that was like too much because like how are you going to squeeze everything through so then i did the more the kangaroo pouch made more it was more simple simplicity and so simplicity is key and i'm gonna so now i'm gonna backtrack so I'm 20. This is after my, I got, had gotten arrested and I'm done with like cocaine and whatnot. I was, I had moved to California to start over because I was in Georgia when this was all happening. And I had gotten a, a temporary job and I was doing accounts payable for the wet seal Inc. But I was still like, I'm doing accounts payable. Like I want more than this. And I always had this ambition right so but anyways i had i had an idea when i was 20 and it was for keys crazy keys and these keys would have an imprint of mickey mouse on them for instance but not like painted on it was going to be imprinted like a quarter it had to be like stamped so you could feel the texture of it and it, keys were going to be cool not so mundane not just like some little copper key it would be like jewelry you might want to even show your friends look at this cool key i have and I was like convinced that this was genius and I'm telling everyone and I got some decent feedback. I, I, I remember I looked into patents. Turns out I wasn't the first person to have ever thought of this. Like back when it was like skeleton keys with the two little prongs and the thing like old timey keys, they had like, they might have a letter like H, you know, so, or for your name, you know, your last yeah. name point is, okay. So not all new ideas are original anyways, but that doesn't matter. But what happened was I was, I was trying to make the key like exactly the way I wanted it. And I was not willing to really compromise like with paint or the paint that's not going to be good enough. And it, in trying to get it print like exactly how I wanted it, I ran, I ran up against obstacles and walls and, and ultimately gave up. I tried for like six months, half-heartedly probably even because I had a real job and or a, a, that job and I ended up giving up. Okay. Is the, is the, is the lesson. So back to like, you know, I'm in Iraq and I, and I made these underwear and I had the idea, like once I got home and I started, I started sewing them and I'm like, I bought a sewing machine and, and I'm making them and I'm handing them out to my friends. But when it came, when it came to like making it a, a business or, or, you know, so like a idea to sell to the public, you can, you can overcomplicate things like I was doing with the keys. I, I, my point, I guess, is that I kept it simple as a simple pouch. I didn't over like there's other pouch companies and they're very complicated. Like some have strings and, and straps and, 
just weird kind of funky designs with little slits like socks underwear has these weird slits. anyways it's very simple so and i learned that from that previous endeavor where where i, I was trying to overcomplicate it because okay so you know it was only it was like six months before i had the idea that i was at a walmart right about to deploy and i saw those same keys that i had had the idea for but they were painted on and it like it was like a kick to the gut i was like i had that idea and i would have been like i feel like i would have been a billionaire or something you know if i had followed through and just simplified it just painted on and you know to cure everyone's curiosity or whatever i did try the paint i did try the paint but like i remember sticking it in our in our uh keyhole at you know a house door and the paint like chipped off yeah i was like well of course that won't work well they've obviously made some kind of special paint where it wouldn't chip off anyways that there's like and the other lesson the main here's the main main one is i didn't you know, like don't give up because if i hadn't given up on that key idea i would have eventually figured it out and with this underwear thing i had no idea what i was going to be doing but the key would be that you know just to never give up and you know here we are 12 years later 13 years later and I, and I never gave up which i had learned from that previous uh failure right and you had a little like bump in the road with sheath right in terms of like the original kickstarter or something like that it, or there was a early failure right and that you had to recover from couple of them quite a few actually so like i had the idea 2008 i ended up doing a production in 2010 and uh, I had moved to Colorado and I was constant, I was tinkering with it for quite some time and, and ultimately was able to get a production in 2010. But because I was so excited to get it to, to the people, I, you know, I gave them the idea and what happens when you order something or when you're trying to make something in another country, you send them like a sample. So I had a sample made from a local seamstress here and I sent it to Pakistan in this case. And what they sent me back wasn't what I sent them. And it was, but it was close enough in my mind. I was like, this, this is perfect. It was perfect to me, but it was not perfect. The pouch was too high. So when you put it on, it would like kind of like cut off circulation, not literally, but it would feel like it was cutting off circulation. It was pinching. It doesn't feel comfortable. And therefore when I would hand it to people, they didn't, they didn't like it. And so that lesson, what I learned there was don't rush when you, you're so excited to bring it to market, yeah. you know, you gotta, don't wait till it's perfect. Cause that's a whole other thing that people get involved with where they never end up releasing it. Cause they keep waiting to, for it to be perfect, but give it a few dry runs. Like it's called like the sampling process is, is a it's back and forth quite a few times. So you want to just, in, keep going back and forth until you're, you know, you're pretty, maybe you do like a fuck where you get people to come. I'm doing Biden to this morning. Fuck. What's <laughs> up Biden? Um, I was making fun of him earlier and now I feel like an asshole, but it's like a, a group of people to test the product so that, that you yeah, can see. Yeah. And then so just get get other people's opinions besides your own so that you're not fooling yourself. Cause that was, I was just super excited. I, I was like, it's good enough, go to production. And then that set me back like three years. So if I would have just waited a couple more months 
and kept messing with, you know, tinkering with it and get it right. It, we would have launched in 2010 instead of 2013, which I mean, we did launch in 2010, but I had product I was sitting on. And we, we always, we never like went out of business, even though I couldn't really sell them. I did sell like one a month or something. And, and for some people did like them, even the way they were people. So those couple of people liked them. And then I ultimately went and worked at a tailor to fix them all. So I was like, I need to fix these, you know? So I, I went to this tailor and I said, if you teach me how to fix these, I'll work your counter for free. And he thought it was up to something. He was a little suspicious, this old, this Vietnamese dude, but ultimately we made a deal and I worked there for about a year and it was right around the end of that year. I had come up with a new design. I'd fixed them all and I had been playing around with it enough to where I had a new uh, prototype and Kickstarter had come around around that time. So I was like, well, let's try and see if the people think it's a good idea. And that's like a proof of concept. So if, if you get, if you pass on Kickstarter, it doesn't mean you're going to be successful, but it's a good indicator that you have a, you know, a, a viable product. Cause I mean, I had one of my friends who he also did a successful Kickstarter, but it was, it was cell phone cases. And so he sold, he made enough to buy all these cell phone cases, but then and even though it was successful, you, then you have to sell more cell phone cases. He had a closet full right. of cell phone cases, you know? Right. So it's, yeah, that it's is, uh, that's insane. Yeah. I'm just imagining uh, you in the, learning how to become a tailor to kind of flip those products and I guess like as you stand today obviously you have like right over a decade of of the business running and and, and moving successful like is what's the vision for like the future of sheath like are you going to expand outside of underwear like is there stuff that you can talk about in terms of like you know you're you partner with a lot of athletes like obviously the, the underwear like the mobility of it is like a key factor like in terms of the marketing, the branding, the product itself, like where do you see it all going in the next 10 years? I'm in a weird place now where I'm like in a giving kind of mode where, and, and because I feel like the more you give, the more you get also. So it's sort of circles back to you anyways. And by helping all these fighters young in their career, I feel like it's going to make a, a long lasting impact where they'll remember us forever and will be their brand forever and, and people that kind of surround them will also you know uh be attracted to our brand and i have i have a bunch of fight gear that we're we've put together that we might start sending out to fighters i don't know that we'll sell it but we could kind of transition to a venom sort of uh, branding style because we do work heavily with fighters but it's all at you know there's a lot of ath you know athletes and comedians it's a lot of the people we work with i was just talking with my daughter though about the homeless you know i want to build some sort of compound for them so that they cannot be wandering the streets like zombies and they could actually like be somewhere where they're safe and maybe have like a headquarters for if they need something they could go go to home base and get bandaged up or whatever because like there's all these problems in society and we leave it up to the government 
to fix it, but they're not fixing it. And private industry could do do their part to help. And then you end up benefiting anyways, because people are like, look at that company. They're awesome because look what they're doing. And and then, and you feel good about it. Now you're a fucking, you feel good because you're giving you're helping people. You're making money. Like it's all works together. Whereas, but some people don't see it like that. Like I'm not giving them money because then I won't have that money. Yeah. What if I, how, what am I going to, you know, what do I do if I don't have the money? I have a friend, shout out to Johanna Kavabar. Uh, he loves his money and he's scared, he's scared to like give it away. It's like you got, you, the more you give, the more it comes back to you is what I've been finding as uh, along this journey. So, yeah, no, that's a, that's a very interesting like lesson to, you know, live by. And like you mentioned earlier, like just having those positive affirmations as well. And like having that kind of mindset every day, something that, you know, I know I, I try to pull from some of my favorite fighters. Obviously I'm a big boxing fan, MMA as well. So there's a lot of lessons that, you know, you can learn just from some of these guys' stories and, you know, all, all different type of athlete and, and, and personalities out there. Um, before we kind of wrap up here, I just wanted to kind of give you a platform to let everyone know maybe where they can, where they can follow you guys, maybe any updates or anything coming soon. Um, but I really appreciate, you know, having you on today, hearing a little bit about your story. It was very interesting to hear, you know, from day one to 10 years plus later where you're at now, a uh, story of perseverance and, you know, overcoming failure and, and, and now you're looking to give back. So it's all, uh, you know, awesome life lessons in there. Yeah. I mean, well, you might want to edit a little bit of this, but I, when I, you know, we did that successful Kickstarter it was successful, but then we ran in, you run into more obstacles. You're still going to run into more obstacles. And so, because when that first Kickstarter, even though it was successful, the product we ultimately ended up with was not sellable again. <laughs> And so we had all these customers that wanted the product, but again, we had product now, now this time it wasn't my fault. It was the manufacturer's fault. And, but the, I like, didn't give up again. And we did one more Kickstarter and, but like, I was just telling my daughter this. So and I'll, I'll want to wrap up on a, like a positive. I, uh, because I didn't give up like immediately, even though I got the fucked up product, I was like, it took me a minute, but I was like, we're not quitting. You know, we're going to keep in like, well, what are you going to do? You're going to do another Kickstarter. You can't do another Kickstarter. That's crazy. Cause you're going to ask for people, ask for more money from more people, even though you, you know, fucked up the product the first time again, I know. And so, but we did it again and we, or at least we made up the decision to do it again. And in the meantime, I was like trying to figure out, okay, we got to find another manufacturer. And as fate would have it, this company reached out to us. They're like, can we make your product for you? We'll do a good job. I said, okay, we'll give you a chance. I sent them my prototype that I had made for the first Kickstarter, but they improved it. So they improved, they sent it back and it was better than what I sent them, which was amazing. So that's like the universe kind of helping me. I felt like, like what I was saying to my daughter earlier was like, when the, when the universe realizes you're not going to give up, it's, it's going to be like, okay we'll give, we'll give you what you want. It's, it's, and it's kind of magical and it's kind of woo woo. But since that point, it's just, you know, like 
oh, doors open where there were only walls. Like that's a phrase I hear. Like it's just like the, the shit just opens up and everything that these success books talk about starts becoming reality. You, you just but you have to break through this threshold of all the obstacles, like the test of, of the human spirit. Can you even can you live up to that challenge? Are you willing to go, you know, go beyond what most people are willing to do? And especially in the face of like where all the odds again are all, all against you, you have all these underwear companies that already exist. What makes you think you can just jump in here and, and make your stake, your claim in the market. It's insurmountable, you know, and people are going to tell you, you can't do it. But like, even with this podcast, for instance, you know, you have a podcast, who do you think you are? Are you going to have a good podcast, like have a popular podcast when there's so many out there already? How do you think you're, how are you going to make your way through all the noise that exists, you know, but if you just keep doing it, a lot of people are going to quit. Like all these people that are doing them, they're going to, you know, they'll do them for a couple of years and then it's like, ah, oh, it's not going well enough. I'm and you know, it was fun, but I'm not going to do it. But you stick it out 10 years later, you know, 90% of the people that were doing it are not doing it anymore. And now there's more new ones, but now Europe at the top. And okay. I mean, you know, I'm just want to leave with like some, some sort of positive note and all, like another thing that really resonated with me of having this deep conversation earlier about you know success and what it takes to be successful and my daughter very simply she's like it's so easy all you got to do is like if you want to do something you you know set a plan to do it and then if you have a positive attitude along the way like every time there's an obstacle you're like I can do this you know okay I can how am I going to figure this out what do I got to do and find somebody to help you and you keep working towards that goal you're going to figure it out. You're going to figure it out. You're not going to be like, this is impossible to open up a coffee shop. Like, how could I possibly open up a coffee shop? Like you'll figure it out and you'll make your way. If you just don't give up and have a positive attitude that just helps people work with you and get to where you want to go. Cause you're going to have to have people doing it along, along the, like a lot of people helped me for years for free with the hope that one day it would be successful. And it is. And um, last thing, there's a show called Undercover Billionaire, you know, and this dude's like a billionaire. And he does this challenge where he has 90 days to make a successful business that he could sell for like a quarter million dollars with wow. nothing, with nothing, like they, no money, no nothing. And when she said that it like reminded me of that show and like he did it again he was already a billionaire but he, he was just proving that you can do it with nothing with just your mind and like uh he had a really positive attitude and he was doing kind of what i did he would go around and find people that were kind of doing what he needed to get to where he was going and he would like yo i need help with this if you help me with this i'll give you a percentage of the company or whatever and like they believed him enough to help him because he seemed genuine and like a good guy. And ultimately I think they felt like ever so short of the goal, but they built this amazing business in like 90 days and it was all, and it's just a show, but like all because he set his mind out to do it. And like, right. if you really want it and you're willing to do what it takes and you have just a positive attitude, I think 
you can kind of do whatever you want to do unless it's like fly or be in the NBA or something. <laughs> no, nah, I love that. I love that. That's awesome. What a great way to wrap this up. I appreciate it, man. Um, everyone go check out sheath underwear on IG, check that out, order some, order some new underwear, um, follow us on YouTube at the pod matrix and me on IG Brooklyn boxing podcast, Robert. I really appreciate it, man. Thank you. Thank you, Pat. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you everyone.